This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. Hey, 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 welcome back to the Educational Triage Podcast, people. I'm Tony, and of course, I am joined with the fantabulous Philip. Aloha. Good to be here. Uh, <laughs> yes, indeed. And today's topic is looking at what is a student-centered classroom? Mm -hmm. And why is it a viable alternative and something that everybody should be thinking about? And what it is in general, I mean, we want to define it and how wonderful it is because <laughs> we really do believe in it. But oh. it sometimes I imagine it's kind of hard to imagine. I was, that's kind of weird to say. But yeah, it's hard to imagine students in charge. Oh, but yeah, that's definitely. not quite what we're saying. <laughs> oh, yeah. As much as that so, Okay, so let's define what the key characteristics of a student-centered classroom actually are and then we can start going into that and so we have individualized learning which may seem really really tough for a 30 plus kid classroom it's collaboration student choice flexible assessment and uh what else do we have there well it's active there's active learning it's it's generally active there's there's when it's student-centered, there's very little, well, there's no lecture. <laughs> right. It's feedback uh, and reflection. Exactly. Teacher is the guide, which goes yeah. back to the teacher not being centered. Inquiry-based. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Student well-being, meaning that the students are safe, and the integration of technology. Yeah. And may I add something, too? <laughs> there's a certain stake that people have when they own something. You know, that's, that's an obvious statement, but it's true. And if you own the curriculum, the student involvement, it's almost a, well, there's an a, a affinity to it. There's a passion to do the work because the student has kind of come up with the path upon which to, to, to kind of direct themselves. They're, they're interested right. in the subject. They're interested in the procedures. They're interested in the knowledge and the learning itself. Right. So let's take this back a big step. Yeah. And let's go into unstructured play because, oh, yeah. and the reason why I want to bring up play, and we've talked about this many times, Peter Gray and, and, and his ilk, yeah. um, as to why that's so important rather than having the structured classroom yeah. is when children are really small, parents tend to have structured playtime because they feel that if they're going to get together with other children, that they need to have structured playtime. 
And so, but what if the playtime wasn't structured? Because I think last week when we were talking with Dr. Allen, uh, the three of us talked about how we used to just run out and play with the people, kids on our street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we used to just have a wonderful time. And I think that's become a little more difficult because not so many people are having kids at the same time or having kids at all. And so we have communities where there aren't so many kids, but we do have places where there are kids. But a lot of parents believe that if unstructured play isn't going to lead their kids down the primrose path to a greater education. Oh, you know, it's in this age of let's do soccer practice, piano and tap dancing all together. Yeah, there's very little time to just go hang with the, the kids around the neighborhood. Exactly. So let's yeah. take a look at what happens. And I think that we will at some point in the near future talk about how important it is to have unstructured versus structured play. So because intrinsic motivation, when children can use their imagination and they're working together, uh, I just remember our parents, they used to just take us over to a friend's house and then the kids would have to play and they wouldn't be watching us. We'd be doing our own thing. If something bad happened, then yeah, they came down and they looked and they figured, well, you know, oh, so he bounced off the ceiling. Big deal. I mean, he's he's still malleable. We had a neighborhood. uh... And it used to have open lots before they built yeah. on them. And when they built on them, they go play on, play where they were building. But, you know, it was like, yeah, the oldest friends I have are like kids I met in second grade on the same street. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. You have exploration and experimentation. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, yeah. how are you going to learn? I mean, it's it, there's a development of natural curiosity. And you yeah. are able to process different concepts. You can look at problem solving. The world's how do bigger, we, yeah. How do we solve problems? And maybe yeah. maybe we have <laughs> less bullying because that's not the way you solve problems. Well, and so just learning a as of, a group. Yeah, you know, a lot of, one of the characteristics we try, we're going to try to point out is there's a trial and error sort of learning. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that's big time when you're a kid because it, you don't know. Uh, we didn't know that it was kind of relatively dangerous to go that high of a bike now. However, <laughs> <laughs> we, there was some trial and error learning, uh, but it's true. It's true. You know, it made it for a rich life. And boy, the focus and the intrinsic motivation not to crash it was really high. <laughs> well, people are going to think that I'm an absolute idiot. But when I was, I think I was like two years old, I was writing, I used to write on my brother's handlebars. That used, to, okay. that used yeah. to be a thing. And so here we yeah. are writing. No helmet, by the way, people. <laughs> no. And here we are. We're riding down the streets of Yakima, Washington. Okay. And I look yeah. and I look down and I see the wheels going round and round with the spokes. And I thought, oh, that'd be so cool. I wonder what it'd feel like to have my foot, my leg go round and round with the spokes. So mm. I stuck my foot into the spokes. The bike flipped. I ended up in the hospital with a sprained ankle. My brother was not very happy with me. Um, but, but I learned very quickly that that was not a good idea. No, that was rather a hard lesson to learn. Definitely. Okay. <laughs> I got so imagination, bones. you're able, kids are able to develop their imagination and their creativity as well. 
Very true. Very true. Think, we had forts that would we'd have whole structures around our fort, quote uh, well, rules yeah. and, and regulations. You know, I think oh, there yeah. were eight of them, but it took forever to write them all. But yeah, we, it was very structured. We'd so, go into the woods because we had some woods near our house, yeah. and so there were other kids that would join in with us, and we'd go through <laughs> and and we would like try to do guerrilla warfare or something like that, you know, right. you just kind of come out and you just say, ah, and you would be just oh, we looking were, We were out. better than just hanging out. We had, well, we had a, a dugout fort and then we decided we wanted a fireplace. We didn't dig a chimney. And so then we lit the thing on some paper mm-hmm. on fire. We all had to abandon the dugout. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, hmm, we'll figure that one out later. Yeah. We were kind of structured, stupid for the structure. But, you know, we had we had all kinds of kids. I mean, it didn't matter if you were a male or female or whatever. Uh, Everybody participated if they wanted to. We didn't exclude. Yeah. Yeah. Little sisters came along. Little brothers came along. Oh, yeah. And then we would find jobs for them to do. And because we had autonomy and that led to greater self-confidence and we made decisions based on that. If they weren't good decisions, then the group would say, you know, that's not really all that great. And if you read Peter Gray, you know that, and we talked about this, that there it's a huge evolutionary step in the development of a child in order to understand social norms and what the yeah. rules are of society for that society, because that's why you play. You that's learn real that. life for a kid. Uh, and school, let's not make make no mistake. School is always an artificial structure. Completely, yeah. completely. So yeah, so, right. And then we have sensory exploration <laughs> because you're using all six senses, and you're using them to, and you're exploring it. I mean, you don't know what like a baking apple pie smells like on a fall day through someone's window, and then when you first smell that. You know, those the novice and novel things mm-hmm. that happen. It's like, whoa, that is like crazy, crazy cool. I remember Halloween time being particularly stinky because fall had a lot of smells to it, a lot of colors to it. The rain yeah. was falling. Fall had a lot of richness. And so when fall occurs now, it reminds me of that. But I was just acid pulled over when I was a kid. Yeah. It's just well, also new. We, we just learned. We were like sponges. And we were. We were just. Just mm-hmm. grabbing knowledge. I love to corral kids who are in that mode. Right. And then we had the social interaction, <clears throat> which yeah. taught us how to interact with other people. Yeah. Who was a bully? Who wasn't? There was some the trial and, the and the trial and error learning. Yeah. yeah and it wasn't because people were saying, oh, you're so stupid that you tried that. No. Everybody was trying to do something stupid. I mean, did you ever try to swallow a bug? Oh, no, I didn't. No, that wasn't. There was one thing. I didn't like snakes and fish and worms. Well, I had read in National Geographic about how different tribes over in Africa did made different kinds of uh, jewelry and did different things with different Mm -hmm. kinds of elements. And so (laughs) and so we my cousins were over. I can't remember what the big celebration was at our house, but we had an empty lot. And there were tons of locusts in the empty lot. And so we went out and we caught tons of locusts. And I went into my parents' bedroom and I got my mom's sewing basket out. And I took out one of these large needles and we had needle and thread. And I made crowns of the locusts. And 
you know, I went through their thorax because I, I thought myself a pretty good um, entomologist at that time. <laughs> and so I strung them all up and I made crowns for my for my girl cousins because they wanted them. And I made bracelets and then the guys got big armbands. And all of a sudden, one of my cousins started screaming and I said, what's wrong? And she's like, they're moving. Well, I had only stunned them. Apparently. Oh, wow. And so they were still alive. And so we had to let them go. <laughs> had to let them go. We had to let them go because it was just it was just too creepy to have living flesh on your flesh. And they were not symbiotic. It, I mean, if they were just dead insects around your wrist, that's one thing. But these were alive. Yeah, they were living. And so they were that's moving. Right, so we had to get rid of them. So we put them back out. Jesus, um, with tones. That's disgusting anyway. It's like, uh, okay, yeah, some of the things we used to do. Oh, man. Well, we were so young. <laughs> we were so young, you know, and, and our imaginations could just go because we had play-based play learning activities. Everything was based around how do we play, how do we experiment, how do we do these things. And then we also had a joy of learning. And it's a way that we were able to process and learn things. And they stuck with us because yeah. they were, I don't want to say it was all hands-on and that it was experiential, but it was. There's a lot of boredom too. Um, but when kids get together, they come up with some pretty crazy stuff to do. And and we played like, you know, with a ball on just a, a small street. And as I recall, it wasn't just a small street to me. You know, we, we competed per se. But when I look at it, I go, how did we play wiffle ball on that street? It's like, <laughs> it's just this wide. <laughs> it's tiny. But, you, but, yeah. but remember, have you ever gone back to your grade school and tried to oh, sit yeah. down in one of those chairs? Oh, I've never been in it, but I walked around the grounds once. I mean, oh. like the field used to be forever away, oh. I remember, mm-hmm. from the window. And now it's only like, that's only like 30, 50 yards. No, maybe 100. <laughs> yeah. You almost have to genuflect in order to take a drink out of the drinking fountain. Oh, yeah. Oh, in the older buildings, for sure. Yeah. My building was old when I went there. So that's Right. So here we have all these wonderful things that build self-confidence. They build the engagement, the joy of learning, the wanting mm-hmm. to learn, the, the thirst for knowledge, because you always want to know more and you want to find out more. And so it triggers yeah. all these aspects. And then you get into structured play which has limited creativity because you're stifling children because you already have outcomes that are supposed to be there. You already have the procedures that are supposed to be there and they have to do that. So they're not able to do the problem solving because you have so many parents who want to be the answer to all the problems. And it's just so much easier not to let the kids work it out but just to explain it to them and just say, that's the way it is. And, and there's a, there's a transition from structured learning, structured play to structured learning. When, for example, you play soccer or you play a sport, it's structured. Uh, there are roles and you find limitations within those roles. Um, with you, when you're with your other friends in that structured play, the roles seem to be kind of, they, they work with each other. They cater to each other. But if you're not, say, a good hitter, if you're structurally learning baseball, you're not going to stay long. There's a certain cut there. So it kind of inhibits you in an artificial way from the outside a lot of times. 
mm-hmm. depending on what structured play you have. But yeah, but it also creates but, a dependency. Because yeah, you, I, yeah. you're, you're relying on somebody to solve something for you. You're relying yes. on somebody to structure something for you. You're yeah, relying you, you constantly on somebody to give you something. There are a few people that keep on playing all their life and, and make it a living. But you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they do kind of go into that. Some kids, I mean, like, they'll get, they'll get college scholarships in a structured learning play. You know? Right. <laughs> you get paid to go to college to play. Like, football's and definitely it, not. It's it's structured learning, big time. <laughs> well, it is. However, yeah. how much time do professional players spend just ratting around doing, you know, just playing and for the fun of it outside of that? It's fun to watch those instances when they'll do it, like the all-star games and things mm-hmm. when they'll joke around. But even then, even even just in their own communities, what do they do when they're at home? Are they playing basketball? Are they doing rat ball? Are they playing mm, different variations? Yeah. It really a lot depends. of times they're prohibited. Honestly, they have contracts. They can't skateboard. You can't water ski. You can't ski. We paid well, a lot yeah, because, for you. You can't break yourself. <laughs> oh yeah. It's so then crazy. we come. So let's go into inhibited social skills because if you're not used to playing with other kids and every yeah. somebody's going to tell you what everybody's role is going to be, yeah. and you're not allowed to do some sort of social integration where you are where the group determines what the yeah. roles are, and you yeah. work that out, then where are you? Yeah, and I've seen more and play. more students that are more socially awkward and can't work in a group because they never had that. And the parents say nonsense. They had brothers and sisters. Completely different. Completely, Completely different. different. You need yeah. to have peers of your own, not your brothers and sisters. Well, the whole Even dynamic if the same age. Unstructured play, the whole dynamic is that you're making it up. You're cooperating with mm-hmm. the people that your kids are playing with. And so you contribute, you take from, you give to. If you don't play that way, or if you hibernate and you're into like video games or you're just a loner, you have no opportunity whatsoever to develop that cooperative. But see, you have friends that fill different gaps for yourself as well. Because I remember in junior high school, I was an avid reader. I loved reading, but I also loved doing other things. One of my best friends, he and I, we would go to the, we would go to Goodwill, St. Vincent de Paul. We'd go to Salvation Army. We'd go to all these places where you could buy books cheap. And we would go through the books. We would have an afternoon where we would go through the books and we would find titles that looked interesting. And then we would read them and then we'd look at each other and say, and and say this book was really bad. This book was good, but da 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 da. So when mm-hmm. I came back from the beach one year, I looked at him and I said, "I'm reading Dune." And he goes, "I've heard of that book." And I said, "Well, let me finish it." So I finished it and I gave it to him. And he's like, "Dude, we got to make a movie out of this." And so we talked about which parts we would play. The odd thing is, is that one of my one of my one of the people I knew in college became one of the stars of the original Dune. So, and that was a big thing. And I was not very happy because that was supposed to be me. But Did you discuss it with him? 
<laughs> no, I actually found out two weeks after I'd gotten a letter from him. And it wasn't about that at all, because all this transpired in that two weeks. Dude, you're doing an adaptation of like Dune. Were you, how old were you, a teenager? When I read it, I was in seventh grade. Jeez, you're a geek. No, <laughs> that's, a, that's a heavy freaking book. They're going, hey, I could make a script out of it. It's like, oh, I'd like to see the, the Gulag Archipelago next, pal. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. But we had our imaginations. It. We had yeah. our imaginations. My, imagine, my imagination went as far as writing a script, kind of like Butch Cassidy, and making a film like that, but not yeah. to, an adaptation of like Heart of Darkness, like Coppola did. <laughs> <laughs> I read Heart of Darkness years later. But, yeah, okay. years later, probably. Yeah, yeah it was definitely okay. not but there was, But there was no inhibition. The only thing that stopped me from reading was mm-hmm. my mother. Right, or my father, who who would yell at me outside. and say, "Why are you reading? Go out and play. Go do something <laughs> yeah, with other people." Outside and play. That's true. Why are you but inside? Go be. out there. You know, now but I'd be outside. Yeah. I'd even be outside, and they'd say, "Go call a friend. Get out of here. Go do something." Yeah. So, and there's a lack of autonomy. I think that goes without saying. When you have structured play, because somebody's always. Oh, Making the decisions, yeah. you're under yeah. that umbrella the entire time. There's a role. And so as far as decision-making goes, as far as yeah. having confidence and doing what you want to do, either you're going to, you either end up becoming a rebel where you're going to act out because you are <clears throat> so structured and you just have to figure out how you're going to prove yourself yeah. or you become absolutely complacent. Those are the two they're way well, out there. I, I, I kind of like disagree. I was in the middle of it. I just had a disdain for the way structured play assigned a role to me. And then when I wasn't good at that role, I wanted to move on, but I wasn't allowed to. So it was kind of like I felt there was more outside imposition on me to what I should be and shouldn't be than there was any kind of limitations that I would set on myself. Well, see, I think that I think having the autonomous play. Yeah. The unstructured play and then being put and forced into a structure. Yeah. That that had very defined limits. Yes. Is what I'm talking about when I say you either become complacent or you become a rebel in their eyes. And then, and some ah, students, I get it, I get it, yeah. And yeah, some yeah. students will be put into what we call the hidden expulsion simply because they've they've not had, let's say, a healthy dose, or they've been given too much and they don't know what the structure is. So you do have to have a balance there. Yeah. So I, I guess what I want to say is just to be clear about it: is everyone wants to do their own thing. To a certain degree. And everyone feels really good when, like, the thing they're doing, they're naturally good at. But right. there, I think there's a time where there's a period of time when you're first learning something and you're naturally awkward, but you have a lot of potential. And the way some outside influences pigeonhole you and say, you don't have the potential, or, you know, in a particular, like a game, you can only play that position, not this position. When in fact they've never really given you a chance to show what you can do, 
that mm-hmm. sort of alienates the person within the structured play area. And you're right. They rebel like crazy because they feel like they've been overlooked as a human generally. Mm-hmm. And it's, just, it's really kind of hard on you, especially when you're young, of course. Like, hey, wait a minute here. Right. So there's, and that's a great time. It's a great point because yeah. that would be a good time for you to play um, shared spots. That's so, exactly how I used to overcome it with baseball. I'd make the kids mess up their spots. I'd put them in different spots. I wouldn't so, mess up their spot. I would simply look at them and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to play this position today. You'll play that position today. Yeah. We'll switch it up. Well, yeah. If you, but if you know baseball, for example, you know, you got a kid who's playing middle infield and you go, yeah, okay. I want you to play like outfield or I want you to pitch. And they're like, well, what? I mean, well, I'm a second baseman and shortstop. Like today, I want you to be first base, you know, to know what it's like to get that. And it puts you in an awkward position, but it makes you appreciate where you are. And it does give you a chance. Sometimes I go, well, I'll be dang. Mm-hmm. He's really good over there, man. And I'll talk to him. I go, hey, uh, let's talk. Did you know you were good at that? But you'd never know if they go, well, he's a shortstop. Well, he's 12. How the heck do you know if he's a shortstop? Yeah, right. I, think, I think what we want to, what we want to speak to is that having unstructured playtime is necessary. However, uh-huh. when you bring them to school, if all they've had is unstructured, that's not going to work either. You Ooh, need to yeah, have yeah. some limits. You need to set boundaries. You need to put something in place. So let's say that because I know that we used to have jobs when I was growing up, we would have chores that we would have to do. And there were consequences if we didn't do it. My right. parents my parents just looked at us as though we were sentient, intelligent human beings. True, true. And, like you understood what you were being told and spoke about. And, yeah. 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 And if we didn't do it, then there were consequences. For example, mm-hmm. if my mother had to clean my room, anything that was left that anything that was left lying around was gone. Mm-hmm except for clothes, because she didn't want to have to buy more clothes. (laughs) But if they were toys, if they were books, whatever, those things went missing. And so you learned very quickly that you didn't do that. You started respecting your own property, and you started putting things away if you really wanted to keep it. My parents didn't tolerate tantrums. If we threw a temper tantrum, my parents would say, go to your room until you're done. They said, go away. Basically. My favorite was to ignore it, basically. So, hey, you haven't done that? Well, <laughs> if you, you turn the volume, I will send you someplace where it's not so loud on me. Well, they would say, <laughs> at your age, this is, at your age, this is not, this is not becoming of you. But use your words is the usual thing. Now, use your words. My son and his <laughs> wife do it. Now, use your words. And they go, oh, I want to kill you. It's like, well, those are words. Yeah. <laughs> right. It but was, do use we understand, them, yeah. we understand your frustration. However, <laughs> I want to do that. Too, I'm the parent. You're the kid. I said, yeah. do something. You didn't do it. You want to do that. Well, you can do that after you do this. There's no, <laughs> there, there's no, ba- there's no, there's no it's, middle ground. It, it's consistent. Right. I would, I would like consistent. to ask the uh, elementary school teachers, if there are any in the audience right now, if they can inform me, because I don't understand. I don't think I understand elementary uh, kids as much but what i have noticed and i've done some teaching in that level is that it's mostly about social skills 
kindergarten through maybe first, second grade. By third grade, you're starting to add cursive and some thought and exercises. But most of that first three years, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and I'd love to know if I am, it's mostly about, well, you sit in your seat, you raise your hand, you ask to go potty if you need to, or you hold it until the break. We stand in line. You, This is how you structure your play and learning. And so, yeah, at least if I think that's the way it is, because that's what I've noticed. There's, there's ABCs yeah. and songs, but there's an awful lot of encouragement of good behavior. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. interesting. Now, what's really interesting, because we're taught, because the more you read, the more you realize that that math and reading scores have just been plummeting. And they say, well, is it the pandemic? No, that's attendance. I mean, attendance is really, really, really sinking. But yes. But to be fair, that's a parent issue. Yes. Parents it is. parents need to be more on the ball with attendance. So and but, yeah. So I don't uh, even want from to, a standpoint of getting kids to school. Look, right. Yeah. I don't <laughs> want to get in. I don't want to get into that one. However, yeah. let's get let's go back into the student centered classroom. Yeah. And what we have there, because I wanted to go through structured and unstructured play simply because I think that that explains why a student centered classroom can work best because it's a combination of both in many ways. You have the structure of the classroom, and later on, what we're going to do is we're going to go through and we're going to talk about possibly how to set up your classroom if you're a science, English, math, or social studies teacher, just to give you some ideas. And I'm also going to give you some books to read as resources on structured and unstructured, on the why we need to have free play and unstructured play. Uh, down in the show notes. So, Mm -hmm. okay, key characteristics of a student-centered classroom, as we said earlier, is individualized learning. So what that means is that each student works at their own pace. They have their own preference of what they want to do and because they can capitalize on their strengths. If you're not capitalizing on student strengths, so Philip, you're really kinesthetic. You're very kinesthetic. You need to move around a lot. I'm going to find yeah. something that's going to help you do that, but I still need you to learn how to figure this part out. What are some ideas that you have in order for you to get there? And how do I, how do I make sure that you're going to stay there? Mm-hmm. And part of this might also be part of your own student mapping. Because remember, we talked about how do you get to know your students? You map out a student. So each student has their own page, maybe. It sounds like a ton of work. But if you're going to build a relationship with those students, then this helps you work with each one of them. Yeah, it's it's not too hard to figure out what a student enjoys. You can ask them. They'll tell you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) At Mm -hmm. length. At length. So... So this way, every student feels as though they're being listened to and that they're being encouraged and they're not being put down. They're not having to pretend that they're good at something 
or to try to figure out something that maybe they're not best adapted to, but something that they can actually achieve. And that way they are just as viable a contributor as everybody else in the classroom. Yeah. And there's a lot of motivation, intrinsic motivation. Yeah. Two words. Exactly. And that's, that's another component. And then it's active learning. That means students are constantly going. Think about a science class. What goes on in a science class? A science class is all about learning about something. You're trying to learn something because you want to understand how does the world work, whether it's through physical movement, through biomes and life, through the through the basic structures that form the earth, which would be yeah. geology. Yeah. If it's, uh, or the basic makeup of everything, which would be chemistry. Or how objects move, which would be physics. Right. So you have all these, you have all yeah. these elements. So why would you have students just sitting there <clears throat> I mean, if they're going to learn a law, how are they going to learn that law? How do they learn the law of gravity? What does the law of gravity say? Sure, there are mm-hmm. some there are some pieces that you want them all to understand at once, and we all know how well students always listen, right? Right. So yeah. in order for them to get someplace, then they have to be listening and they have to be able to paraphrase somehow and move on. They need to be active listeners. They need to be actively participating somehow. How you know, use gravity. Happen? Use the gravity as an example, and I think it's a really good one because gravity, theoretically, technically, it hadn't been proven. It's not. It's one of those nuclear forces that we just haven't proven, but you can see evidence of it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so you get to the kids through that that inquiry of thought to go. Guess what? That's a perfect example of knowledge that we kind of have but don't have. And the reason we want to question things all the time to find the thing it is, because we know there's gravity, but it's not quite something we can put our hands on. Instead of going, this is gravity, read about it. And when you read about it, it's really boring. There's the force that holds things this and that. And that, oh, thank you very much. But when you think about it in an action, you're like, hey. You know, I can see how gravity affects everything, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you can, go, you can go on little mind voyages from the back door a lot of times. That's what I love to do. It's like, I don't want to think about exactly. the thing so much as how it works in the world. And as a teacher, you should not be relegated to a textbook. You Never. can look at the textbook and say, well, I have to oh. do this. No, well, you get to do this. And guess what yeah. else you get to do? You get to figure things out on your own as far as how you're going to teach it. The textbook right. is meant as a resource, not as the teaching instrument. If it's going to be the teaching instrument, mm. then just go home and just tell the kids to read the textbook. They're going to be fine. That's what those school boards for credit recovery yeah. want to have happen. And it's just a crock of goo. It's so, the difference okay. between painting and painting by numbers. <laughs> the textbook is painting by numbers. It will look kind of okay, <laughs> but you will lose all expression and individuality if you use nothing. Yeah, kind of. Um, I would, I would say painting by numbers. You still are able to express yourself. Really, you think painting by numbers is a little bit 
more enriching than using just text. I used to I like love it. paint I like by numbers. I, I used to love paint by numbers because it never looked like the picture that was there because I expressed myself as I went, uh, even though I tried. But nobody's going to come up with the same exact painting. My good friend, they are. Ex- we have to compare that. I can't paint. I can't draw. So painting by numbers for me was like. A coloring with paints in the lines. I didn't express anything. So isn't that fascinating? I, I saw it a different way totally. Yeah. See, I tried because, but every one <laughs> of those, I'd be looking at it and then I'd put in the color mm-hmm. and then I would say, that doesn't look quite right. Oh, Why doesn't that look right? And then I would fix it. It's the same thing when I would be playing music. And I finally yeah. had a piano teacher who understood because when you're playing music, you are playing exactly what they have. And that's what exactly. your piano teachers normally want. Except right. I finally had a piano teacher who said, yeah. okay, let's play these. Let's play this. And I would play it. And she'd say, where did that extra music come from? And I said, I don't know. It just, I, for me, it just needed it. it so I was adapting up, I the music as I was playing it. Now, when I was playing something like Pachelbel's Canon D or Rhapsody in Blue, right? I had to adapt simply because my fat fingers, as long and lanky as they are, they're still fat and they're clumsy. I know people that have much better fingering than I do. All right. When I'm doing Rhapsody in Blue, I had to adapt in order to make it work, and it worked. Same thing with Pachelbel's Canon in D. So you still get to have the pleasure of playing. People still know that you're playing that music. Yeah. And the majority of them don't understand that, yes, you did take a little bit of license with it. You played around with structured playing, structured teach, or structured learning, unstructured learning. I mean, your mind was just going all over. You learned how to do it structured but you chose to do it unstructured and play with it. Yeah, that's how we do things. If we have to play a rigid role, we tend not to do very well at all. But like with you, you probably had a grand old time. But you have to remember, one of the evolutionary premises is Mm -hmm. a species can only survive if it learns how to adapt. Adapt, exactly. And we just so, adapt like crazy. We really, really No, we innovate. don't. We teach, we teach non-adaptation. Oh, we teach people to As stick. humans, we do. But what, how we teach, no. You're right. Absolutely. It's very rigid. It's mm-hmm. very stru- scheduled, structured. It really does right. inhibit the whole basic structure of how we're amazing. Yes. So, collaboration. We teach collaboration in a student-centered classroom because students need to be able to work with each other. So this is also a part of open play. And it does does help you want to do so. And it allows them to discuss issues with each other to figure things out, not in a confrontational manner. But if they are, then that's a time that we can use as a time to learn. Yeah, that would be a way to... To learn how to and that can also be people. a piece of co-op. <laughs> we're also doing cooperative learning when we're doing that. So we can we can structure that. A lot of times this needs this it helps if they've had time to do this in their younger years, but by the time that they mm. become high schoolers, they may have a harder time for it. In the alternative classroom, mm. we have the ability to create these. 
So, I'd love to do some research on if there is a decrease in um, achievement around the fifth grade to the sixth grade, because that's when they start getting too structured. Play is generally play used to be sort of incorporated and much more used in like primary grades, but primary grades got all serious about things and their test scores or whatever, and they got rid of recesses and stuff. And it was fifth grade where you started to go, okay, now it's time to act like an adult kind of thing. Sixth grade is, they say, is when the system starts to beat you to pieces. <laughs> I remember I was teaching, I was teaching a block class. It was half English, half, half social studies. Social studies. Okay. Yeah. And they were seventh graders. And this one kid looked at me and he said, Mr. Hunt, why do you keep talking to us as though we were adults? We're just tiny children. (laughs) And everybody else goes, yeah, we're not responsible. And I said, ah, but that's where you're wrong. You are trying to be adults. (laughs) I'm here to teach you. (laughs) I am here to enlighten your tiny little lives. I'm here to stomp on your soul and make you conform. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So student choice. The students are choosing to do what it is that they're going to do. This gives them confidence. It gives them autonomy. Flexible assessment. How are you going to assess what each one of those students is doing? Very individual. How do I know, Philip, that you're doing a really good job? I check in with you. It doesn't have to be a formal assessment. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to do a formal assessment, what's that assessment going to be? Philip, explain to me. How will I know what you know when you know it to know if this is working? There's lots of ways to get there. Produce something. I just, I just I mean, look at improvements, you. all that. Yeah. It can be a teamwork between you as the facilitator and the student. And the student, you can address the student's needs and then their well, wants too. I know that you right. really want to do this this way, but you really need to work on your writing. So what do you say you expand that touch? Maybe give yeah, me a we, little bit more of this much or that much. <laughs> right. How do we yeah. get there? Yeah. And then you can so, see it. So you're also doing feedback and reflection. So every yeah. day, do you have the students sit down and just do a quick journal. What did you do today? What worked? What do you need to work on? Where are you frustrated? Uh, And, you know, I would urge because journals are about as popular as toothaches uh, to some students, (laughs) I would suggest coming up with your own accountability program. You know, we're trying to have the kids do that. Today was A and this is what I looked for and this is what I didn't get. I can go back to it tomorrow and go, oh yeah, here's where I pick up. If a student needs to draw because they're really frustrated or they're celebrating and that's the best way for them to communicate, let them do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if they know what it means, especially if it's some sort of. Yeah. And then you can look at them and say, what do you mean? And it's like, I don't know. I just, I guess I was kind of angry that day. Well, what was, what made you angry that day? Well, I don't know. (laughs) That's what I want to know. There's a lesson in there. The fact that you're, the fact that you're, that you're freaked out, frustrated, angry about something. Tell me what that was. Maybe it has nothing to do with whatever it was going on that day. Maybe it had something to do with something outside the classroom. But that's still working on that relationship that you need to yeah. build with the students. It's a skill All to learn how to live life and learn in school. I mean, that's not easy. But right. Not so, And we're also doing inquiry-based learning. 
How often do you ask a kid, what if? So if you're teaching English, every story is based on what if. Mm. Every movie is based on what if. Science is based on what if. Start Start thinking about that as a premise because it gets them thinking. So what if the sun moved 10 miles closer to the earth? What would happen? What would happen if your dad came home or your Mm -hmm. mom or your grandparents, whoever your guardians are, and said, we are now moving to Iceland. (laughs) You can bring 10 things. What are those 10 things that you would bring and why? Mm -hmm. Because these are going to be your survival tools in Iceland. So you're going to have to figure that out. Now for I can me, think it's of a gonna, ton of those. Yeah. See, my mm-hmm. problem with Iceland has nothing to do with the clothing or the atmosphere or anything. It has to do with the fact that they just eat a lot of fish, and I really am not a big fish lover. <gasps> Dude, I'm never going to Iceland. I can't stand fish. I just didn't think about that. Thank you so very much. You're right. Oh, you're welcome. There's so much fish. It's like, oh, dear. Do you have a cow? A friend, cow. Mine, a friend of mine. A friend of mine. A friend of mine was cracking up one day and I said, why are you laughing? And she said, I just got a text from a good friend of mine who's on vacation in Greece and they're sitting and and they're at a restaurant and she's a vegetarian and it's a small little restaurant and she's really freaked out because they don't have any vegetarian dishes at this restaurant. In Greece? I said, is it a small cafe? She said, yeah. She said, all it is is seafood. <laughs> I oh, said, she's I in Greece say, on a tiny little island. She can't get vegetarian food in Greece. Was she a Burger King? Because, <laughs> I mean, that's a great diet. Dolmas. It was, and all, all, it was yeah. all seafood. It was, it was all, all seafood. seafood. Yeah. It was that a seafood restaurant. Out, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> because, because their whole livelihood for yeah. a very long time I mean, it's based on the sea, correct? I imagine you can make of course seafood they have into absolutely everything all your life. Seafood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But seafood, I'm just not a big fan of it. I try, try it every now and again, again to go, maybe I will like it. Still don't like it. It's, you know, I don't know. <laughs> so, okay. But then we also have student well-being because now the student feels taken care of. They feel listened to. They feel heard. They feel like they're doing something. They feel productive. This is wonderful. They understand it. I and mean, this like as just far be as happening. what's expected and, and their timelines, right. you know, because they're involved. Exactly. And it shouldn't oh. just be happening at the elementary stages. This should also be happening at the. Yeah. At the, yeah. It should really at the be. the secondary level. Enthusiastic learning is a great thing. You know, mm-hmm. Dragging yourself through the day, six periods, seven periods a day. Boy, right. I, I don't like doing it as an adult. But when I was teaching alt-ed, my days just flew by. Well, that's because it's play, because we got to play with the kids. We got to learn with the kids. And I read something today, this morning. I can't remember where it was. I I was scattering through so many different things this morning. Mm -hmm. Um, The teacher should be the biggest learner in the classroom at all times. 
Yeah. I mean, the kids that we taught from the time we started until like 20 years later, they were different kids. There was different things. That's a generation. And so you couldn't just come in there and go, I know everything there is to know now as a beginning teacher and then just stay pat, especially about relationships. I mean, it's like, no, kids actually change. Society changes. You have to learn how to deal with the kids learning and how you fit in. And, and then all these things you're going to learn since the computer age, give it up. I mean, oh, yeah, I have to with, stay abreast of it all. And now with yeah. AI, it's how do we use the AI? Yeah. And if I was in a classroom, I would be all over it. I should be more involved right now, but I couldn't afford to be ignorant of it. If I was, I would prefer, students. I would prefer that students had a basic knowledge in their own brains before they went and they started using anything with technology. Oh yeah, it's really tricky. But I should technology as a tool and a resource rather than the end all be all. Everyone's all scared of that. Like, I'm just going to have, are you going to be able to go to college and just put it into an AI and have it produce all the work? It's like, what, what life do you live? you got to be there. You've got to, there's different projects. AI is yeah. not going to take you there. AI is no. not going to cook your dinner to keep you fed so you can go to the next day. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Okay. So as promised, let's create student-centered learning environments in a high school. Now, how you adapt this to an alternative ed classroom, how you would identify, how you would use some of these tools for yourself. I don't know, but mm. in science, you'd use flexible seating. So how do you accommodate group work and discussions, hands-on activities? You have experiment stations. So if you're going to have dedicated experiments, dissections, what have you, you put the tools all out there and the students will know. Interactive displays. Students are getting their hands on. Of course, they're going to have to understand what, what the tools are that they're working with, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do we have a resource center? Sure. Maybe there's books. Maybe you have all kinds of other elements that might be oh, there. Nice. You also have safety stations in a, in a classroom, especially if there's going to be, especially if they're going to be doing dissections, you've got scalpels, you're pithing. If you're going to have, you know, maybe where are the gloves? Where's the eyewash machine? Especially <clears throat> if there's chemicals. That's okay. Science. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So, that's for science. What about English? Maybe you have reading nooks, places for students to sit down and comfortably read. Um, do you have discussion areas? A writing center? An author's corner? How do you set things up in an English classroom so that students are working on what it is that you want them to be working on? Sure, you want them to be engaged. Let's say that everybody needs to read The Grapes of Wrath mm -hmm. because everybody loves reading John Steinbeck. <laughs> we have Of Mice and Men, we have East of Eden, we have Grapes of yeah. Wrath. I use Of Mice and Men, but yeah. Right. Okay, so let's go with Of Mice and Men. Okay. So what is it? Can we talk about what are the different themes? And maybe you're going to put themes around the room. Maybe somebody wants to go with relationships. That's one. Maybe they want to talk about abled and disabled. 
And what are the themes around that? Maybe good and bad, because people can't see beyond the black and the white. Maybe they want to talk about how this talks about society and how it applies to different influences of society on today. And, and it's a reflection because everybody knows that literature is written about the society in which it was written. And it's a reflection of that. Yeah. Generally speaking, you're right. Huh? Well, of course I am. Except science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Which, which is takes still... immense imagination. I'm telling it you. Takes as far as immense I'm imagination. It's easy to write a novel. But it's present day. still... It's still relevant to the yes. culture from which it right. was written. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's it's literature. It's just you have to imagine a whole new world. Yeah, but I'm not okay. built that so, way. Some people are, and I'm grateful they are. And I'm not. And I'll watch their movies and read their books. <laughs> and see, even watching movies, how are you going to criticize a movie? You've got to be able to take it apart. And yeah. so, using movies. Yeah. You could do the I, same thing. I used movies a ton to get to literary devices. And just because it's like you could see a metaphor happening right there. That's a metaphor. That's a metaphor. Yeah. You know, it, mm -hmm. it, it, things like that occur pretty easily and visually. And a lot of kids really, they can jump right on now. And it's deep. Sure. And, and you can teach archetypes. Oh, I mean, I used to teach film. Trust me. I, the kids would get mad. They go, thanks a lot, Summers. No, I can't watch a movie without like, analyzing it. Like, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, good. Except that it's a really good movie. You forget to, and you go, this is just a ride. And that's what's happening. <laughs> it's a really good film. So let's look at math. Oh, boy. You can look at that all you want. <laughs> You're going to create tables or clusters for group yeah. problem-solving sessions and collaborative math projects? I would make math alive if I had to teach math. I would make, like, contour lines on a map. I would use a, a map table. We'd create that to make it visual and things like that. Okay. Yeah. Math manipulatives? Definitely. Oh, I don't know what the best manipul manipulatives would be in the world, but I'll find them and use them because I, it, I'll, I'll take anything when it comes to mathematics. Create a wall that has math problems and, and encourage students to see if they can yeah. solve those problems. Right. Or, yeah, there's just so many things I could do with math if I had the resources to make it play. For example, that table I uh, discussed with, had flower, but then it had a projector, a computer-generated projector that put a map on the flower. And every time you move the flower, they like, I made mean, mountains and ridges and lakes it would put in the contour lines of what that would look like across the flower. And then you could push a button and make it rain and where the rain would go and collect on the terrain. And just that was fascinating. And you could really play with that. I mean, I mean, let's predict where the water goes mathematically. I wouldn't know how to do it, but it sure would be fun to try to figure it out. <laughs> how would you, how would you use math in, because math is all about patterns. It is, yeah. But nature it, is also about patterns. And so looking at the elegance of mathematics and nature, yeah. how would you do that and how would that engage the students in their own curiosity? Oh, yeah. I, I'm having a problem thinking about There's an equation where, it, ah, help me, audience, if you have a seashell and as this, the, 
the row of the shell expands like a nautilus there's an equation that goes along with that and it, god mm-hmm. dang it it's going out of my head. but that's okay um, yeah it's a really interesting equation i think it's called the golden equation or something but oh. it's like it always oh. unfolds that way and it's like what and if you look at like seed pods they always start like they go from one three to five to like six and they have a certain pattern it's the golden equation anyway i wish i knew it well enough to make it interesting but i could i could make it interesting it's, it's everywhere and it's math and it's nature you know definitely yeah okay social studies and this is uh, where you come in with I'm integrated maps Absolutely. I mean, if you're yeah. integrating maps, maps are so fascinating. I could spend hours just looking at maps. How often do students get to look at a map? Yeah, they look at it, but if, unless at they're it? into it, I don't think they kind of get it. If you can guide their learning about it, it's like, hey, check this see, out. That's maps why, do, that's, and this is a different kind in the whole map. See, my big question is whether or not computers and phones have taken aspects of curiosity away from us. Definitely, because you look to be the answers are right there rather than looking for the answers. Well, you find what you look for. And so with a computer, you're looking for that answer. Mm -hmm. Uh, The next one would be obtaining. Okay, the next one would be artifact stations. So you put up historical artifacts, documents and primary resources and students can analyze those and discuss them. That doesn't mean having to take the entire constitution <laughs> and break that down unless you're doing a class on constitutionalities. Well, an artifact station for me was when I did the Everest unit. I had climbing stuff. Eventually mm-hmm. I had a rock wall that was built in the elementary school bias, but we I had all the gear right. that they had so they could mess But we're talking history. Work. Yeah, we're talk talking history. history. Okay, World geology, War II, I had one geography. of the clickers they had. I used to teach World War mm-hmm. II. I had a replica, one of the clickers they used on D-Day. They had a little clicking. Uh, okay. I had all kinds of World War II. I had a purple heart from World War II. Uh, yeah, all kinds of stuff. It was, yeah, artifacts have a debate. are really important. You have a debate area where students can sit down and they can talk to each other and figure things out. Maybe, maybe I'm going to have you debate with maybe you and some other kids are going to debate on this topic and you're taking this side and everybody else is taking this other side. And so they need to get their arguments together. So they're going to pool their resources and figure that out. And so you've got the collaboration, you've got the resources going, they have some different elements that they really need to figure out and a research zone. So, what are they going to research? How are they going to research it? So again, we have resources. How do you store so, your research? Structure yeah. your research. <laughs> so okay, so let's let's tidy everything up. So when we talk about a student centered classroom, we have to look at it from the stamp. Well, we don't have to. I prefer to look at it as the starting from the structure of unstructured play, where we have students figuring things out on their own, getting their autonomy, learning their self-confidence, looking at questions that they want answered about what that topic is. 
that builds their confidence that you can get to where you need to be, albeit it might take a little bit longer, but maybe they have better depth of knowledge by the time they get to that end point. Would you agree? Absolutely. You know, one of the thoughts that's going through my mind is you're saying, well, what do we do in this classroom? And what do we do in that classroom? I have a hesitation to answer that because in order to move forward, I really need to start working with kids. Like I know where I want to start, but when I get a group of 10 kids together, okay, we're going to do this. I'm sure, I hope it changes real quick because that's student-centered learning. I mean, you have to kind of give up a lot, but you also have to have a certain flair for keeping it in, keeping it on that lane, you know, keeping that course going in that same direction. Don't let it digress or go sideways either way. Yeah, it's really tough. You know, you're asking asking these questions and I kind of feel like taking the fifth, you know, because I need the kids to help me come up with the answers for the questions you're asking. (laughs) You know, weird. It's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. not the kids. It's kind of like we're just talking to ourselves like teachers do. (laughs) Many do. Yeah, some do. Okay, we have an inclusive environment. Mm -hmm. Teacher is a facilitator. You've got visible learning. You've got so many elements that are in there. So the student feels welcome. They feel viable. They feel as though they've been heard. They feel as though they're actually going somewhere with it. They know where they're at, you know, and where they're going. And so this might be something that you want to do with other people and talk to them. And even just using, incorporating certain elements and putting that into your classroom, I know that people feel stressed out, but by the same token, if you're not learning something and, and engaging yourself, of course, you're going to be stressed out. So try to incorporate something new. And, you know, sometimes you just have to let go of wanting to dominate and just listening to the students and working with the students instead of trying to cram stuff into their little heads. Yeah, don't fear. Don't let the fear of failure let you fail. (laughs) It just you're not gonna like take a, a, a pat recipe and give the kids, all right, kids, we're gonna make this dish today and it's going to taste identical to each group of three. It's like, could you imagine <laughs> if they're just gonna see all kinds of varied recipes? You might That's even start off, I like it because that means that you could start off every classroom with a what if. I like that. I'm just, you and know, you that could what get, if thing. Yeah. And you could get a lively discussion. And once everybody is settled in their seats and they're in their, let's say they're in their little pods of discussion, you can say, what if, and everybody, and so they just sit down and they just start brainstorming and they get their ideas and then they present those to everybody else in the class. You have time for that. You've got them engaged. You've got them there. And it's something that ties in with whatever it is. Yeah, you need for them to accomplish that. They're utilizing what they've already learned to come up with a what if. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. So, yeah. Okay. So that's it for today. So, Philip, as usual, thank you very much. Thank you. And we will see you 
next week when we have something about teaching. Hmm. I can't imagine what that might be. Okay, okay. but until then, I will thank you again, Philip, and thank you again to the audience. Have a wonderful week, and be well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.